the thing that I've always found very, very inspiring is to let the story take you to the next level. So if I'm seeing things or I'm tracking projects that people are working on and I don't know yet what it's going to look like when it's in the headset, it's got to be what the what the story is at the core yeah right so that i think is what's leading us forward um and what's getting us the attention that we're that we have been getting around the arcade and around tribeca immersive it's just that people can actually understand what we're trying to do because you know some things will be experimental and maybe slightly experiential but it's something that you can really hang your hat on and say this is someone who's trying to tell a story and in service of the story they're using technology and that's where we're going with it Every business, whether or not they realize it, is an idea business. The people at Gray have a long history of creating famously effective ideas. And so, with Gray Matter, we explore the ideas shaping our world. We ask creative minds from all corners of life how they came up with their best ideas. And that's what matters for Gray Matter. On this episode of Gray Matter, we're diving into immersive storytelling, exploring VR and AR, or as our guest calls it, XR technology. We'll learn why he prefers this term and how he's made it part of the Tribeca Film Festival. Hi, I'm John Petrolis, Worldwide Chief Creative Officer at Gray, and this week's idea is Tribeca Immersive, created by Lauren Hammonds in conjunction with the Tribeca Film Festival. Each year, this idea showcases one of the newest ways to tell stories, immersive storytelling. Our Gray interviewer is Gray Chief Innovation Officer Dan Bennett, who talks to Lauren about the origins of the idea and how it became part of the iconic Tribeca Film Festival and the headwinds this festival within a festival faced when it first launched. We'll also hear about Virtual Arcade, as our guest cleverly calls it, VRcade, an experience that's been deemed one of the world's greatest showcases of VR art. This is Lauren Hammonds. XR is an all-encompassing term uh, for a medium where uh, technology is used either for virtual reality or augmented reality or mixed reality. So virtual reality is when you are put you are put inside of an environment and you're able to explore that environment. Augmented reality is when a layer of additional digital information is put onto your actual reality. And mixed reality, well, that can be a lot of different things. There can be, yeah, there can be ele live elements, uh, whether it's actors, there can be live elements of sets and items, um, tracked items that can appear in virtual environments. It's very, um, it's always it's always changing. So that's why I think XR is most accurate to, to describe this work. You're a um, leading voice in the XR world. So I'm going to give you something that is yours. You can take it away with you. Okay. But I, I would love it if we could see um, in future it referred to as reality soup. <laughs> reality soup? Reality soup. I think, I think it's pretty accurate, actually. Yeah, it's, it's about, uh, to, sums it up, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, it yeah. does. I think that's where the X comes in, too. Like, right. It's, yeah, <laughs> it's, uh, it's funny. We've actually had, you know, we have these these conferences of all uh, all these people that work in the the industry and are thought leaders. And one of the conversations that we had last year, actually at IDFA at um, the Inter International Documentary Fest of Amsterdam, is what do we call this? Right. <laughs> right. And some people said, "Well, I still think of it as VR, AR, MR." Some people said XR, but for me, I think XR is great. It's yeah. a, it's a great term for now. Yeah. that encompasses everything and you don't have to 
create divisions where they're not needed. You yeah. know, everyone's trying to move technology and storytelling along together, and a lot of people are working in audio, augmented reality, and virtual reality, etc. So why create divisions? Let's just call it XR and be a community. I like it. XR it is. Yeah. Actually, uh, the reason I'm most excited to have you here is because I came to the uh, Immersive Arcade, right? Which yeah. is called this year. Yeah, the Virtual Arcade. The Virtual Arcade sure. um, this year at Tribeca and was absolutely flabbergasted. And as you can imagine, I mean, I see a lot of this stuff sort of day in and day out. But what you guys put on there blew me away. I, oh, I came great. out of the World War II uh, experience yes. genuinely shaking. Ah, that's that's great to hear. Yeah. Not that you were shaking, yeah, right. but great that you were moved. Right, so, it was yeah. truly moving. Yeah. But just to uh, get a bit bit of a background on Lauren and you know where you came from, what you studied, sure. um, a little bit of what got you to here, and then we'll get straight into that idea. My background is in film. Uh, I studied film at the conservatory at SUNY Purchase. Um, so really, I kind of just ate, slept, read, and made films. Um, and, you know, I didn't really know that curation was a career, to tell you the truth, as much as I would love going to film festivals. It wasn't, it was really more about just consuming the films, but I did love to share films with friends and I love to talk about them. Um, and that's, that's something that uh, luckily, I, I more or less stumbled into as I started working with different organizations. Um, you know, before Tribeca, I was working with IFP, Independent Feature Project, sure. yeah. uh, for their Emerging Narrative Program and reading scripts. And uh, I was screening for the Hamptons International Film Festival, among other things. Um, and I started at Tribeca almost 14 years ago now. Wow. Yeah. I started um, actually managing private events. We had a private cinema. Right. At the time. Yeah. And I had a friend who was working at Tribeca and said, you know, we could really use your help here. I came in, uh, started working in the cinema and eventually became the director of the cinema. Right. Where we had about 22 uh, other film festivals aside from Tribeca. But but yeah, I mean, at, at a certain point, it uh, it kind of dawned on me. I'm doing, I'm learning this curatorial work and I'm starting to curate for others. Wouldn't it make sense to do this for the organization that I'm with? And yeah. luckily about nine, nine and a half years ago, I was invited to join the programming team uh, for the festival for films. And then uh, about five years ago, I took over the immersive uh, section. It, it, it's safe to say that as a cinephile, can we call you that? Yes, That's yes, sure, right? sure. Um, your Instagram, by the way, is brilliant. It's at the cinematic. Yes. Well done. I'm glad I was early. That's yeah, well done, man. I saw that. That's a good one. So, as a cinephile, is it is it safe to say you ended up in about the best place you could imagine ending up? Absolutely, absolutely. I think um, not just as a cinephile, but as a fan of storytelling. Sure. Yeah. I mean, there's really no. Right. Nothing higher than than Tribeca there for isn't. me. I love, you know, there are a lot of other festivals that I admire, but one of the things that I love so much about working at Tribeca and the th the uh, the kind of uh, ab abilities that we're afforded to really experiment um, is that we're just following storytelling where yeah. it takes us. Yeah, yeah. So, so that's a perfect. You're a pro. That's a perfect segue, right? <laughs> because where storytelling seems to have taken us all, especially yeah. in our world, but very particularly in your world, has been outside of, um, I guess the 2D screen would be a simple way of putting it, right? Sure. Um, so that, that takes us nicely into what we're here today to talk specifically about, which is the immersive practice, 
that you spearhead at Tribeca. Right. So let's think about that in context of Tribeca itself, right? I mean, mm-hmm. famous for many things. Um, how did that, I, what, where, what was the genesis of that idea? How did it take flight? Where did we start with that? So, um, I mean, I'd have to go before we even started Tri- Tribeca Immersive. I'd have to start with 2013, where we first showcased some interactive work. Uh, and that was a, a co-curator, Ingrid Kopp, had created something called Storyscapes, which mm-hmm. was a transmedia section at the time, which just meant, you know, this is these are people that are telling stories on different platforms. Um, ultimately, technology started to advance and evolve at such a, an amazing rate. And I was always interested in in interactive storytelling, whether it's gaming or uh, web docs, th- those kind of things. And... Uh, I had the opportunity to see some early prototypes of VR headsets. Right. Like when we were, you know, there, there was an entire VR industry of research and development before this is what's happening now. Yeah. But at a certain point in about 2014, um, some hardware manufacturers were working on these new designs to really make, bring VR to the masses. Yeah. And some of the creators that were working on these things were really, really inspiring. And that is the work that made me say, we need to focus on this and see if we can, we can actually create a section of the, of the festival around this. Um, and luckily I have a lot of allies at the festival who were in agreement. So I remember those first units. I remember, um, one of the manufacturers coming to show them and they'd have to wheel in a whole computer (laughs) on a cart and plug you into the headset and now it's sort of something you fit in your pocket and and strap on which is kind of cool no it's it's unbelievable i mean i I always tell the story about um magic leap for example like years ago i went to to visit them and it was exactly as you described like a helmet with handles and a computer on a cart and like a vacuum cleaner hose (laughs) and now it's like oh it's a little puck that you put in your pocket and walk around with it's wild isn't it yeah to some extent though i suppose that democratization of that technology has only helped uh, continue to you guys continue to lean into it as a medium because it's now something that's increasingly appropriate for the masses because it, it wouldn't be really I mean is it, is it even worth showcasing when it's something that thirty people in New York City in a room can see I I wonder if when we go back to the original talkies you know was there a feeling when suddenly um, the moving images had sound that was was as overwhelming as I as overwhelming as I feel when I go in to see these experiences. I, I think it. I mean, I think it was, and it I think that's right. that's something that drew me to this. Um, coming from the film world and coming from loving cinema and loving the history of cinema, being able to realize that this is the first time that any of us have had an opportunity to truly see a medium just born and really discovered you know yeah and and to to be f- friends and colleagues with these people who are creating a language of storytelling is yeah. really humbling for me it's the vanguard it's yeah. fascinating yeah. so so we a couple of years ago got some momentum within tribeca to to launch an immersive practice w- was it pretty easily bought off on from the rest of the team i have to say that it was and and I have to give credit where credit is due, and that is Jane Rosenthal, yeah. our co-founder, is a notoriously early adopter yeah. of technology. Uh, she had a, a DK1, which was like the the very first Oculus headset before anyone had it in their hands, and she also saw the uh, the possibilities in this medium. And I think when um, when I kind of pitched the idea of creating something that's more focused 
directly on VR, you know, it, it was kind of a no-brainer for her. And our festival director at the time as well um, was very interested in kind of figuring out what our new things are, because that's something that we like to do at the festival. It's like every year, as soon as we finish, we all sit in a room together, our whole programming team and curatorial team and say, well, what can we do next year? What's like that? what? Yeah. Regardless of the tailwinds you have, there's often some form of headwind. I mean, when you oh, first yeah. launched an immersive practice, was there uh, were there headwinds from the industry more broadly or consumers? Like, did did you face any headwinds initially trying to launch? I think that I mean, I think the the hugest headwind was probably uh, educating the audience because people really had no idea what to expect when they were arriving at Tribeca Immersive. Um, that was a that was a huge challenge, and it was a challenge to us to to figure out the way the best way to describe, you know, our practice. Yeah. Um, aside from that, there's also just the challenge of exhibiting the work. Yeah. Uh, because being in a headset is obviously so it's just inherently isolating, and it's difficult to to maximize throughput, which is something that you know it's it's very different than than what our business was at the time, which was you know that films start at 2.30, so you arrive at 2 o'clock, you take your seat, and the lights go out, and there you are, and yeah. everybody's watching it. This is not that. So it took us a little while to kind of also figure out the best way to show the work. And I think right now, I won't say that we figured out the best way, but I think that we're always reiterating and always kind of figuring out uh, what the next the next best way is. Yeah, I don't want to say you have the toughest job at Tribeca, because I don't want to get you in trouble but you might have the toughest job at Tribeca. I think about what you have to do before you get a chance to say you don't, because I'm sure you don't. I'm sure there's plenty of people that have very tough jobs, but you have to explain not only the message, which is traditionally how you you know describe um, the nuances of a film before I go and see it, what is, the, what is the blurb on the film. You also have to describe the medium, the way in which you're going to experience the, almost the feelings you're going to have in you know during this process. No, it's true. There's, there, I mean, there... That can be very difficult. Yeah. And then I think another difficulty is kind of, it's something that happens behind the scenes that I think a lot of people don't think about is there's a lot, there's actually a lot of math that goes into figure, figuring out what our, uh, our program looks like each year, because we have to think of not just how many pieces we have, but how long the pieces are, how many headsets we have for right. each piece, how many people we can allow in the room at any given time to be able to experience all of this work without getting frustrated that they're waiting on a line or yeah. something. Um, and also, as the the exhibitions get more and more ambitious, we have to start thinking about the footprints that they take up and the physical space that we actually have available and how we can create these this immersive experience that's that happens before you put a headset on in order to really make it so that everyone can work together and everyone has a great experience audience-wise as well. You have had a chance to see it as a as an offering evolve and change and, and you've manipulated it and you and the team have manipulated it as it's grown. How Are there any significant ways that you see that it has shifted from the genesis of that idea into sort of where it is currently? And I, I recognise it probably changes every year, but has anything happened that's been seismic in how it's shifted? Yeah, I mean, I think we're in the in the midst of some pretty seismic change at the moment. Um, when we started, it was really... Well, I'll talk about it from the Tribeca side of things, first sure. of all. Yeah. So when we started, it, the, the the idea was really to provide a place to 
have these experiences. So we weren't worried about, um, you know, bells and whistles. We wanted to make sure that the hardware worked well and that the experiences were delivered well and that audiences were educated and understood what we were trying to get across here. But as those things started to gel, then we got more ambitious. And, and uh, you know, I, I really thought about it as more of a, a, fine, a fine art exhibition meeting an entertainment, you know, a, a film festival, right? We're a festival within our own festival, right. essentially. So giving the, the artists the opportunity to create these installations that could really speak to the work that they made in headset. Um, and that's something that is a mark of Tribeca, absolutely, um, is, that, is creating that kind of immersive, immersive uh, atmosphere in the arcade. And now... I think what's happening in the in the XR industry is still people haven't truly adopted headsets, right? Like they just don't have them at home, not the majority of people. Sometimes people like in, in industries like yours and mine, yeah. yes, okay, but outside of there, not necessarily. So what's happening is people are looking for a means of distribution for the work because you work on all this, you, you make this brilliant piece, you spend all of this money, you get amazing feedback from press, and then no one can see it if they don't have a headset. Right. And one of the things that people have, 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 creators have started going towards is the idea of location-based entertainment. So with location-based entertainment and drawing people out to see this work, uh, they really have started thinking even further about what that live exhibition is. And... As Tribeca Immersive is known for that, we're really embracing larger scale work, more complicated work. This year we had work with live actors, with motion capture actors, with um, you know huge sets like War Remains that yeah. you mentioned, which for for example is just a huge set that uh, that you know everything that is in the the experience of VR is mapped to a physical set. So if you reach out for a door within your VR experience, you're opening an actual door. Right. Those things didn't didn't exist, you know, yeah. at all in the beginning of uh, of Tribeca Immersive. I don't think anyone had even really thought about the possibilities there. But it's really um, inspiring what some of the creators are coming up with, and it's challenging for for us to to exhibit that work, but it's so worth it. And there may be none, but have you had or any sort of memorable failures that have uh, gotten in the way the last couple of years? I feel like most people mm. go through this, but anything that springs to mind? There are always a series of small failures yeah. that we just kind of continue to work on. I mean, that's one thing that's, that's lucky too, is when we started uh, Tribeca Immersive and we started the virtual arcade, it wasn't up the entire time. Uh, the entire the duration of the festival, it was only up for five days, and to to do that kind of work for a five day exhibition right. really did not did not seem worth it. And I think it uh, being able to keep it up for you know ten days now is important to us because it also allows us a chance to troubleshoot when things do not go exactly as planned. Bringing any brilliant idea to life and then sustaining it which mm. is the most difficult part usually involves a team as well so so you, Tribeca Immersive you have a a team presumably that are working on ideating and delivering and concepting 
this we, idea. We do. It's it's way smaller than you would ever yeah. expect. I mean, honestly, the curatorial team is only two of us. Right. Um, although I, we may be getting another person this year, which That's would be amazing. Exciting. Um, <laughs> but uh, but beyond that, we have a, a really lean production team, and they come on later in the process. So by that time, I'll have already spoken with most of the artists that that I'm you know selecting and inviting and getting ideas of what they what they want to do what they want to get forth in their exhibition mm -hmm. so once we've had those those creative conversations then we're able to bring in the operational team and the production team and say well this is what they want to deliver and what's realistic and right. what's not right. and usually we're we're able to get very close to their vision if not exactly at it which is just a, uh, it's been a blessing so far. So I hope we can continue that. That's impressive. I mean, I think interpret interpreting anyone's vision is difficult. Yeah, I, you know, it's there's another thing. I think it's the the tightness of the XR community. Yeah, and whether you're a curator or a creator or a critic, I think we all speak the same language, and we're all very very focused and and feel the responsibility of showing the best possible work because. This can be very, um, it's delicate, you know, when you're showing someone VR for the first time, as we often are mm -hmm. at Tribeca, if you show work that is not good, yeah, like you could ruin that person for, for the medium. Sure. They'll say, oh, I saw something and it wasn't so good. I don't like VR. Yeah. Well, especially <laughs> at Tribeca, right? Yeah. It's one thing seeing it in a, a smaller show, yeah. but to see it really on the world stage, which is that Tribeca experience, is a lot of pressure. It's true, but it's like, you know, I don't think anyone watches will watch a TV show and say, oh, that TV show sucked. I don't like TV. Yeah. Like that's, you know what I mean? <laughs> right. That's not what, so the stakes are very high yeah. uh, with XR and with, with things that people haven't seen before. Yeah. So it's important to... I think we all take that responsibility very seriously. Mm -hmm. And so that's why the, the conversations with the creators are so important. Um, technology can often be thought of as something that gets in the way mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, or, or technology for technology's sake that gets sure. in the way. And I, I've always held true to the fact that to tell a great story, to be caught to culture, to have a brilliant idea, um, it, should be, it should be in service of that idea and not abstract to it. Yeah. Um, and there might be no better way of bringing that to life, actually, than through XR right now. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've had to figure it out myself, just um, coming from film, uh, what my curatorial vision is for XR. And a lot of it starts with exactly that. It starts with, why are you making this in VR? Right. Right, like, I'll, I'll get submissions and I'll be watching something that's just fine you know i mean i i see there's some some solid acting or some good production value but why would you choose to make this in vr if yeah. the if it's not adding something to it or it's not i have no agency in the story or you're not using the the full canvas of 360 degrees or you're not using all the degrees of freedom that are possible here then why yeah right? so, and usually when i ask that question those are not the pieces that end up in the program. Um, so I, I usually ask people where they see themselves, their idea, their business, um, or where they see the idea going over the next five years. I, I don't think I'll, I'm not going to task you with five because <laughs> of the rate of change yeah, that you're in. But, but where, where do you see it in 12 months? What's going to be happening in a year or so? 
Uh, I mean, I think we're still in the in the age of of location based experiences, and I think that there are some really ambitious projects in the pipeline right now that are involving live elements and kind of blurring the line between immersive theater and uh, technology and VR. Uh, I also think, you know, for for Tribeca Immersive, what we're hoping is to be able to um, continue to showcase this work in other places as well, right? It's it's um it's a curation that we work on very hard. You know, we we work on it for a long time and we're very serious about it and we get to put it up for our 10 days, but we'd love the opportunity to share that with different places and um also get give the give more opportunities to the creators to show that work um you know more times and in more you know it, but in but with the same care. Dan, Lauren talked about how the stories he curates for the festival are stories that could only be told as an XR story. Did he go into detail about any of the pieces he selected? It, you know, he spoke about some of them, but having experienced the XR immersive festival at last year's Tribeca Film Festival, there were a couple that stood out to me, even just an experience in them. What's interesting, John, is um, a lot of the way they take on stories and storytellers is if those stories can only be told utilizing XR, so how do they use an immersive experience to deliver a story more deeply? The one that stood out to me was um, actually something we riffed on was the uh, World War One experience they developed, and they basically built um, what felt like a full battleground. It was incredibly moving, terrifying in actual fact, and really brought to life the idea that they could probably only and possibly only tell that story properly through the mixed medium of XR. It was very cool. It's amazing. That sounds like great use of that technology. And I'm going to guess a lot of people like to do it for themselves. Um, how, like, how do you do that? How could someone yeah. attend this? The, the, the upside of these experiences is that they are very immersive, they're time consuming. So really to get the best out of them, you have to attend uh, one of the events. I would recommend their events. And so to find out more about Tribeca Films Immersive Events and Experiences, um, you can visit tribecafilm.com forward slash immersive and there you can learn uh, everything about the annual festival and the other offshoots of bits and bobs they have happening so you can experience it yourself in person. Well worth it. That's great. Thanks, Dan. And thanks to Lauren for creating this unique combination of fine art and entertainment. So that does it for us. This week, we'd like to extend a thank you to Kate Kelly, Jeff Gray, and Marie Kelly. If you'd like to hear how other creators, founders, and inventors thought up their best ideas, be sure to subscribe to Gray Matter on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And be sure to rate and review an Apple Podcasts, but more importantly, tell a friend. The more folks that listen, the more ideas spread. If you like what we're doing, let us know. We love hearing from you. Follow Gray's social pages for more information about Gray and upcoming episodes. Thanks for listening. Gray Matter is hosted by John Petrulis, produced by Joey Scarillo and Christina Torres, mixed by Guy Rosemarin at Townhouse Studios. Additional support from David Canavan, Christina Hyde, Grace McDougall, Andy Yancho, John Bicknell, Lydia Dizon, Abigail Hofflinger, and Ryan Cunningham. Gray is a global creative agency whose mission is putting famously effective ideas into the world. Check out more at gray.com.